Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church, our Sunday school lesson. This is the one that is coming right up to Christmas. Hard to believe that sometimes. December 19th is when we're going to uh, present it. And we're taking a break this week from the New City Catechism. I wrote this up because I think Christmas is a time for uh, tradition. So many things that you do with your family. You've been doing them for years, maybe even decades for some of you. Um, I bet if I came to your house and looked at your decorations, you would tell me stories about where you got that decoration, who gave it to you. Uh, maybe you have some heirloom decorations that were your parents or your grandparents' decorations. And maybe you have things you do year after year after year. In fact, um, I was reading a church growth expert that said that uh, if you have a special Christmas service, that that's not the time to introduce new music. That uh, when you have visitors, especially from your community, from your neighborhoods here, you better have, um, you know, silent night and candles and all of that because people expect tradition and Christmas is about memories and it's about thinking back. And that's part of why we do the candlelight Lord's Supper at Christmas. It's not because it's better at Christmas or more uh, powerful at Christmas or anything like that. It's just because, well, we want to get the whole story about Jesus. It's more than him just being born in a manger. It's about his perfect life and his death and his resurrection, of course. But also uh, it's the idea of remembrance. This do in remembrance of me. And I think Christmas stirs up remembrance in just everyday life more than probably any other holiday. And uh, I think that's why some people get so sad and have a struggle with Christmas. I um, also wanted to share that uh, this lesson, praising God for the incarnation of Christ, is important because I think for a lot of people, Christmas is a letdown, don't you? I think some people have the idea, the expectation, maybe they watch too many Hallmark movies, that if there's a problem in the family, um, you know, give us, give us an hour and, and we'll get it fixed. And Christmas and snowfall and hot chocolate and all of that kind of stuff just brings everybody together. Have you ever really seen that happen? I, I suppose it can, but have you ever really seen that happen? My experience has been that problems on December 24th are still problems on December 26th. And the hopes and the dreams that that's going to be fixed are a tremendous letdown when they're not. Uh, we have the, the thing where we are praying for homeless people, and I was praying for mine just uh, this morning, and I thought about what Christmas must be like for them. And uh, maybe they have really, really good memories of Christmas, and the person that I have, his name is Robert. I have no idea why he's homeless. I don't know if it's an economic thing that he lost a job and can't get a new one or whether it is a mental health issue or whether it's drugs and alcohol. I, I, I just don't know. But I prayed for him and I prayed for his soul. And I prayed that somehow there might be some joy that would come into his life at Christmas that would point him to Jesus. I'm thinking about the people that are alone at Christmas. I'm thinking about those who um, maybe they had a lot of hopes and dreams and 
aspirations for the year, and now we're coming to the end of the year, and those things weren't realized. And Christmas just brings a lot of sadness. Some people are disappointed in Christmas because they're so busy looking on Instagram and seeing other people's stories and seeing what they do. And it looks so fun and so good and everybody seems so happy and they have trouble getting, um, you know, the family schedules to coordinate so that they can do anything. And it's kind of a letdown. Maybe you don't get what you want for Christmas or maybe you couldn't afford to get other people what you would like to get them. Uh, any number of things right there. I mean, we could go on and on and on, right? And so we've got to find something that helps us during this time. And so it's good to remember uh, these things that we probably already know, but we've got to be reminded of. Over and over, we're told in the scripture to remember things. And so we're going to take time to remember these things now. Now, um, the words Merry Christmas have become in my lifetime controversial. It's kind of like pushing religion on people and pushing Christ on people. And um, to be honest, I don't think people think that much about Christ at Christmas anymore. And to say Christmas, I don't think the average person really thinks that much about Jesus but I've been kind of pleasantly surprised. I've heard more people use those words in businesses and uh, places like that that I've been this year more than I have in times past. And uh, yet at the same time, does anybody know what that means? I mean, it kind of gets, I, I guess we kind of know what Mary means to, you know, to be happy, have a happy Christmas but uh, we really don't think that much about Jesus. Well, that ought to be different for the Christian, shouldn't it? And we ought to remember what this is really all about and not get caught up in everything else. Because as we mentioned, Christmas, well, it does have its problems and its letdowns and its disappointments. But for the child of God, it ought to be that our joy is not found in a day or a season or in traditions or everything kind of coming together to be perfect with snowfall and holly and cookies and all of that kind of stuff. What if we were in a prison cell right now? What if we were being persecuted for our faith? What if we were having to live in a cave with our families? I mean, people are having to do that all over the world. And for the child of God, the born again Christian, does it mean any more or any less because it's December 25th? And we have to remember that our joy is not in the date. Our joy is not even in the season or in everything even happening right. Our joy is in the love and the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. This is all planned before the foundation of the world by the Father. And for us, we understand that the coming of Christ, it, it changed everything, didn't it? Everything. And so we've got to uh, understand that the incarnation is much more than just a story. It's not a myth or a fable. Uh, it's not a legend. It actually did happen. And we need to be thankful for that baby, but realize that there's a whole lot more to the story than just a little baby born in a manger. So let's praise God for the incarnation of Christ. And we can do that 
in April. We can do that in September, and we certainly can do it now in December. Let's uh, look at it like this. Point number one would be we needed the light of God. We needed the light of God. Here we were with darkened minds, the Bible says, and we were stumbling around in a darkened world. Jesus uh, talked about the Pharisees as the blind leading the blind. You know, that, that's pretty picturesque when you think about it. And uh, that's the way life was for all of us, stumbling in the dark. And we heard voices and we would listen to those voices and we would try to follow those voices, but they were just as blind and just as darkened in their mind and understanding as we were. And so it was just futility after futility, disappointment after disappointment. And sometimes we would trip and fall and stumble and hurt ourselves and sometimes maybe hurt other people. And we never could figure out why and we never could get it right. But those two wonderful words in the scripture came to light in our lives. But God, but God, that changes everything, doesn't it? The Bible says in John chapter one, verse four and five, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We uh, think about all of the different religions in the world and they all claim to be light and they claim to enlighten us. Well, we've got to be careful. And uh, so many people follow them because they don't have spiritual eyes to see. Again, they're blind, they're dead in trespasses and sins, they're walking in darkness, and they follow after other voices of darkness claiming to be the light. Scripture goes on to tell us in John 1, 9, the true light which gives light to everyone um, was coming into the world. And we've got to think about the true light. Now, if there is a true light that John brings to our attention, a true light that presupposes that there are a lot of false lights that are out there. In fact, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel. Ready for this? Here it is. Look, of light, of light. And so he says, here I am. I can lead you into the light. I can lead you into life. And, and all we do is follow him and we follow him into greater darkness. In fact, if you'll think about what Jesus said about hell, he said, yes, it's a place of torment, but he also said it's a place of outer darkness. It's away from the presence of God in a good sense. You can never get out of the presence of God, but uh, we walk in the presence of God in terms of light and joy and provision. He's our shepherd. He's our father. All of those kind of things. To be in hell and to be in outer darkness is to be away from anything good about God. And it is to be in a place where there is no light at all. Can you imagine? People say, I'm going to go to hell, going to have a party. I'd rather, uh, Billy Joel said, I'd rather laugh with the uh, sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Well, not in hell, not in hell. 
When you're in hell, you're going to be very, very, very alone. It's going to be like a solitary confinement for eternity. Why? Because you're in outer darkness. You're not going to be able to see or feel your way through anything. And um, you hear the noise, the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth, but there won't be any fellowship there. It's going to be a horrible place. And the Bible uses this metaphor of light and darkness over and over and over. The true light being in Christ, being enlightened is when we repent of our sins and believe the gospel. Everything changes with the coming of the light. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter uh, 5, verse 19, we know that we have, that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And you know, that's what we forget sometimes. Why is it that uh, somebody acts up in traffic? Because the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Why is there corruption in politics? Because the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Why is it that there are people who will cheat and they will steal, that they will lie? Why will they do that kind of stuff? Why would anybody do that? Because the world lies under the power of the evil one, and the evil one disguises himself as an angel of light, remember? And we can't tell the difference before Christ because we are blind, and a blind person can't see the light. A blind person can't discern light from darkness. They hear the voices and what the voices claim, but they can't do anything about that, and they stumble around. And so think about that. We needed the light, and Christ really is the light and the only true light. In fact, even the Word of God, the Bible, is described as being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, but only for the child of God, see? Only for us. So, well, that's enough to praise God for this Christmas. Light came into the world, and we are not in the darkness. We are of the light. Paul spoke about that to the Thessalonians, too. Um, Second, we needed perfection. We needed perfection. This is what God demanded. We read verses in the Bible that tell us, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Boy, that is, uh, I'm already defeated on that because I've already blown it. And so have you. And even if I, from this moment on, could live a perfect life, Well, what about the last 61 years? What about yesterday? What about today even? What happens to my imperfection? Does it not taint everything about me? Well, the Bible tells us in uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. What kind of glory is that? the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so um, Christ was preexistent. You go back to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's what sets up the context for the verses we just read. Who is this Word? It's Jesus Christ. He uh, was not a creation of God. He didn't come into existence at Bethlehem. He has always existed. In fact, the Bible tells us in John 1 and also in the book of Colossians and other places, Jesus is 
the creation, the voice of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And we see Jesus putting on flesh, becoming the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. I know that mathematically doesn't work out, but that's the only way we can communicate it. Fully God and fully man. God in flesh, incarnate, in skin. And you think about anything that we could offer up to God, no matter how good it might be to us or how good it may seem to others, it's going to be tainted. It's going to be stained by sin. And the only hope for fallen humanity is for God himself to love us, as it says in John chapter 3, 16, and for that love to manifest itself in him coming to live for us, don't leave out his life, to live for us a perfect, unblemished, sinless life so that he could die on the cross and be the fulfillment of the unblemished lamb in the Old Testament that would die on behalf of the people of God. But Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, not like the lamb, and he is the final sacrifice, unlike the lambs, right? So we can praise the Lord for that because we needed perfection that we could never attain. And so God provided it for us. Isn't it interesting that we had the problem and yet God gives the solution? It wasn't his problem. And he didn't do that for angels. Consider that. He did that for humans, people like us. I don't know why, but there's a lot of things I don't understand, and that would be one of them. Why God would love me, why God would redeem me, and not do that for a fallen angel is beyond me. But I'm so glad that he did that. I praise God for the fact that we not only needed light, but we needed perfection, and we found those in Jesus. Thirdly, we needed a perfect or sufficient sacrifice, didn't we? The uh, blood of the lambs and the bulls and the goats, all they did was tell the people of God in the Old Testament that there's a better day coming and that there's a sacrifice coming and the shedding of blood from the lamb or the bull or the goat pointed to the shedding of blood of Christ. You remember Abraham in the book of Genesis, he's on his way to offer Isaac as a sacrifice and Isaac is probably a teenager by that time. And he says, Father, we have everything we need for the sacrifice except the sacrifice. We've got the wood and we've got the, the coals of fire. We've got all of that. Where, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said something very, very insightful. He said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Now you read that in just kind of a cursory reading. Well, it means that God himself will provide the sacrifice. But when you read it carefully and you think about the New Testament, think of it like this. God will provide himself as the sacrifice. And you remember in that story that Abraham lays Isaac on the altar. or I don't know. I've often wondered if Abraham could have done that. Apparently, Isaac voluntarily got on the altar. And uh, what happened? The angel stopped Abraham and there was a ram that was caught in the thicket and Isaac gets off of the altar and the ram is put on the altar and dies in the place of Isaac. A picture of Christ. God provides himself, the God-man, as the sacrifice 
for our sins. When we read in Philippians chapter 2, it says uh, in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't consider it something to hold on to, but he let go of that and submitted himself under his father's leadership. Goes on to say, but made himself, uh, you might want to kind of mentally underline those words, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And then he emphasizes it, even the death of the cross. And verse nine says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory <coughs> of God the Father. And so we think about this, it's called the doctrine of kenosis. And what does kenosis mean? Uh, the doctrine of emptying. Jesus did not cease to be God, but he emptied himself of all of the rights and privileges that he had ever had as God. Uh, think of this with me. To go from being spirit to being flesh, confined in a body, that's pretty, pretty limiting, isn't it? And Jesus did that for you. To think of being omnipresent, being everywhere, from there going into, not the manger, but to a virgin's womb as a fetus. Can you imagine how different that was for him? To, going, to go from being completely self-sustaining, uh, now as a baby, he has to be fed. He has to be cleaned. He has to be changed. He has to grow. He has to learn to walk. He stumbles and falls and all of those kind of things. That, that's quite a change. And that's what Jesus did so that he could come and shed his blood on the cross for you. You see, in the story of Christmas, it's not really, don't, don't worry so much about the fact that Jesus had to be born in a stable. That was the plan. Don't worry so much about all of that. I mean, it's sad, but that's not really the main point of all of it. Jesus did all of that, and he did it in such a, an humble fashion, and he did it to pay for your sins. And so all of this happens before the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the reason God exalted him. And remember, think about this. I told you about those two words. He made himself. His coming was completely voluntary to be the sacrifice of our sin. Yes, it was the will of the Father, but Jesus was in perfect compliance with the will. He didn't have to be ordered to do it, forced to do it, or anything like that. That was the plan. He came as a willing servant to uh, endure not just death, but Paul says, even the death of a cross. You know, um, there are a lot of ways to die, a lot of ways to die. 
Do you ever think about that? I think about um, maybe dying in a car crash and being burned to death, and I go, uh, no, thank you. I think about suffering with cancer and uh, a painful, uh, drawn-out death, and I go, no, thank you. I, I would really rather, and uh, with my heart failure and stuff, I thought about this a lot. You know, uh, I could just die in my sleep. And uh, yeah, that sounds good and, and have no awareness of it and just, uh, you know, go to sleep in my bed and wake up in heaven. That, that sounds pretty good to me. Unfortunately, we don't get to script those things. But I will say this, Jesus didn't die in his sleep. He didn't have an easy death. He didn't have a painless death. In fact, he died one of the most painful, gruesome, torturous deaths ever invented by humans. And that's the time in which Jesus came when the Romans had invented crucifixion. And he came during the time when the Romans were occupying Israel and ruled over it. This is not just any death, even the death of a cross. This is what had been prophesied in the Old Testament, that he was going to be pierced, that he would be the substitute for our sins. And that's exactly what he did. And he did it in the worst way possible, the death of the cross. That shows his love and shows the seriousness of what he came to do. It shows how when people say, well, Jesus can't possibly be the only way to God. And my answer to that was, well, if there was another way, don't you think that God the Father would have said, come that way, instead of allowing his son to die that death on the cross? This is an amazing thing to think about what Jesus did as the uh, perfect sacrifice with perfect obedience to die on the cross for us, for our sins. And the resurrection shows that this sacrifice was accepted on our behalf. And because of that, the Bible says that the Father has highly exalted Christ Think about that. His, his is the name above all names. He's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And everyone is going to bow before him one day and confess him as Lord. And that's why my prayer is that if you haven't, you'll do it now and you'll do it in a way that will bring salvation to you. But if not, know this, you're not going to skip it. One day you'll stand before him and you'll confess that he is Lord only to hear him condemn you to an eternity in the lake of fire. And my prayer is that that will not happen to you because of what Jesus did. And number four is we needed what only God could provide. Somewhat redundant. That's really what we've been saying from start to finish of this lesson. But Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What is the Godhead? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It makes reference to the Trinity, God in three persons, not three different gods, but uh, in three persons. And uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, co-equal in their nature and their attributes. And uh, while the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, it certainly is taught because the Father is called God, Jesus is called God, and the Holy Spirit is called God. And um, some people say, well, it was just Jesus showing up in different forms. 
But then you have real problems at the baptism of Christ when God the Son, Jesus, is standing in the water and the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. There it is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, separate, and yet at the same time they make up one God and they are equal in their nature and attributes, fullness of the Godhead. You see, everything you need to see about God and know about God in Jesus Christ. He is the revealer of who God is and um, the love of God, the wrath of God, the justice of God, all of that we see in Christ, especially on the cross. Some people only want to emphasize the love of God and they quote John 3:16, which is a wonderful verse, by the way, and they act as though there is nothing else to him. But you see the wrath of God displayed on the cross when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was being judged in our place on the cross. Not only the physical death, but the spiritual suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think about the justice of God. Sin had to be paid for. And we could never pay for it in an eternity in hell. Our sin would not be paid for. But the infinite, loving, powerful Son of God came and said, Father, I will take what they justly deserve and you can pour your holy justice out on me in their place. I mean, this is amazing stuff. And only Christ could do that. How could somebody in three hours on a cross pay for what would cost me an eternity in hell? Well, only the infinite God could do that. And that's why he put on flesh. And that's why he hung on the cross. And that's why he was able to take the sins of everyone who would believe and in three hours pay what we could never pay in an eternity in hell. This is absolutely amazing. And that's why Paul reminds us of that. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, this verse also confronts what was popular during uh, New Testament times called Gnosticism. The word gnosis is at the root of that. It means knowledge. These people that claim to have special insight, special knowledge beyond what the apostles had, beyond what the scripture taught. They had this mystical, visionary, dreamlike revelation of things. And you know what they came up with? Material things are evil. This uh, stand that this is on, it's, it's all material, it's evil. If you think about a rock, you know, the, it's just a rock. It's really evil, really evil. There's no life in it at all. And the Gnostics would look at themselves and say, well, my body, this flesh is material, therefore it's evil. And you know what their conclusion was? Live any way you want. Commit any immorality you want. Treat other people any way you want. Why? Because the flesh is evil. Don't try to curtail it. But the spirit, which is immaterial, well, that's good. That's good. And one day this spirit will leave the body and um, we'll go to heaven or whatever and everything will be good. And they really didn't believe in a resurrection because why would you resurrect material stuff that is inherently evil? That's kind of messed up when you think about it. But it also affected the way they taught about Christ. And they would look at that and they, they, they say a holy, pure God would never place himself within a body of 
material substance, flesh, which would be evil. And so their reconciliation of all of that was to say that what you read about in the Gospels, Jesus was there, but he really wasn't in flesh. He only appeared to be in flesh. He was a phantom. Now, what does that say then about the atonement? Well, you can't nail a phantom to a cross. You can't nail a ghost or a spirit to the cross. And even if you could somehow get them on the cross, they certainly wouldn't bleed. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so they were attacking the very nature of Christ, and they were telling us that this is a different Jesus than what is presented in the Bible. And cults always do that. Uh, Nearly every cult and false religion that you find, they will either de-emphasize the humanity of Christ, like the Gnostics did. Humanity is no big deal. That's not real. That's not the way he he really was. Or they will deny the deity of Christ. and, And they'll say the opposite. He was a man, but he wasn't God. Well, if that's the case, then we have no salvation. And there's no reason to follow him. And it casts dispersion upon the Bible, doesn't it? Well, Paul was concerned about that when he wrote to the Corinthians that they would uh, fall for all of this kind of stuff and they would deny the crucifixion and they would deny the shedding of blood and they would deny all of that that makes redemption possible. Um, Let's see. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, listen to this. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, um, you could also say a different Jesus than the one we proclaimed, uh, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you might well put up with it readily enough. You see, the mark of a cult or a false religion, a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And Paul even said in the book of Galatians, if anybody, even an angel, preaches a different gospel from what we preached, let him be a curse. That's how serious God is about us knowing the truth. And so when we think about this at Christmas, let's remember who Jesus is and let's remember what he does. And let's remember the old song that says, tell me the old, old story, because we need to hear that story over and over and over, not just to be bored with it, not just to go, I already know that, but to think and to think deeply about the richness of what God has done in redemption and the glory of the gospel of Christ. And it's certainly appropriate during this season. This is a great time to witness for Christ because even lost people are somewhat aware of Jesus and his coming during this time. Let's share the gospel. But also your children and your grandchildren are learning the story and teach them that it's more than just Jesus in a manger. Tell them about um, who he is. Tell them about why he came 
and tell them about what he accomplished and why sinners like us, include yourself in that, why we need to uh, have this done for us. And so while you're doing that, then give him praise and remember to praise God for the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ and to thank the Lord Jesus for doing that for you and to praise the Holy Spirit for making it clear to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of them uh, are involved in your salvation. And this is a great time of year to give thanks for that and to proclaim that. So let that bless you. Thank you, uh, teachers, for the work that you do. For those of you who are tuning in to watch this because you want to keep up with Sunday school, God bless you. We miss you and we are praying for you. And thank you so much for taking the time to uh, watch this video. It's been my joy to bring it to you. God bless you. And if I don't see you again, Merry Christmas to you.